0: I think that's what these are, remarkably simple drugs to use, given how effective they are. It's it's quite uncommon to have a drug which is so effective, yet so well tolerated and have minimal side effects. This episode of the Global Kidney Care Podcast is presented by B.I. and Lily. Uh,
1: good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you are. My name's Adira Levin and I'm a professor of medicine at uh, University of British Columbia in Vancouver and I'd like to welcome everyone to this podcast where we're going to talk about uh, the kidney trial and how that implicates uh, practice. I'd like to
2: introduce uh,
1: my co-speakers, so over to Dr. Nangaku. Uh,
2: hello, uh, this is Masami Nangaku. Uh, I am the uh, current president of the International Society of Nephrology and I'm from the University of Tokyo, Japan.
0: Will, please. And Hi, I'm Will Harrington. I am a nephrologist and a trialist based at the University of Oxford, um, and I had the honor of being chief investigator leading the kidney trial with our collaborative group across eight countries and 241 sites.
1: What a great way to introduce and start this conversation. So uh, maybe I'd like to ask you to tell us in in maybe not the longest time but what the primary results of the epic trial are and why we should be so excited about
0: yeah that's a great idea so it's this has been a uh... A project which took its birth idea from the corridors of a hospital in in Oxford, reading uh the Egg outcome trial, um, the first of the large placebo-controlled SGLT2 inhibitor trials to report, reported back in 2015. But the renal results were a second New England Journal publication by Christoph Fanner, who was uh, vice chair of the um, steering committee, and he identified really remarkable effects in people with diabetes with generally preserved kidney function. And we really wanted a test. Um, whether or not these effects might be beneficial in patients with lower levels of kidney function and people without diabetes. So we proposed a design for a trial to um, the uh, uh, various companies, um, but we were very pleased when we managed to persuade Buringer, who are the manufacturers of Empagliflozin, um, to run an academically-led trial of SGLT2 inhibitors in people with chronic kidney disease, and briefly, if I give you the PICO, um, so the population you're interested in were 6,000 patients with chronic kidney disease who were at risk of progression based on some very simple markers of risk, you know, low creatin- low, low, sorry, low kidney function or um, kidney function, which is more preserved with evidence of some albuminuria, and we wanted at least a third with diabetes and a third without um, and we had a simple design, which was to randomize people one-to-one to impact in 10 milligrams versus matching placebo. And we were following them for what we thought was the best outcome for measuring clinical effects, which was cardiovascular death or kidney disease progression. And by kidney disease progression, we meant starting dialysis or receiving a kidney transplant or having at least a 40% EGFR decline. Um, and the trial was actually stopped. Early for benefits. Um, we had only completed two years of follow-up in participants. The drug was well-tolerated. Over 90% of participants reported taking side treatment by the midpoint, and we were stopped early because the data monitoring committee observed a 28% relative risk reduction on the primary outcome. So a 28% reduction in the risk of um, particularly um, kidney disease progression, and that included 20%. 9% uh, reduction in the risk of that, that particular part of the component and a nearly one-third reduction in the risk of needing to start dialysis or receive a kidney transplant. So practice changing results.
1: Yeah, tell, you know, the whole notion of an academically run trial, I'm not sure is as familiar to everybody uh, that might be listening. And maybe tell us a little bit about that and, and perhaps why the kidney world should um, think a lot about how we do our trials and, and what is an academic-led trial.
0: Yes, and that's a really excellent uh, question. So um, uh, some trials are purely uh, uh, designed by uh, an industry funder um, who have a commercial objective, um, whereas uh, Oxford, uh, with our collaborative group, uh, established a model of trial which was given birth, really, in 2003 with yourself and others with uh, the SHARP trial, um, which was effectively an investigator-initiated, investigator-designed, so the steering committee designed the study, um, and investigator-conducted. We do get input from from an industry partner who will fund the trial, um, um, but really the trial is driven by academic groups, and wherever it's possible, um, we like to have academic groups leading the trial in each country. Um, and we like to have, uh, obviously, investigators engaged in the trial because we think it's a really key question for our community. And the, some of the features of of the trial conduct of M. McKinney is specific to the Oxford model of trial, but in particular... Um, you'll notice that the trial um, uh, had very broad inclusion criteria if you read the paper, and that's very much a feature of a population approach, an academic approach. Um, it, it, the idea of population approaches um, and wanting to try and treat the, the widest range of patients and get the most generalizable results is very much a feature of a trial driven by people who have got key academic questions. <laughs> yeah,
1: maybe I can ask Masomi um, in terms... Of- of that breadth of uh, inclusion and the way the trial was run, what's, how do
2: we clinically interpret this hemphakidmy trial in clinical practice? Thank you, Adira. Uh, first of all, I'd like to emphasize the importance of SGLT2 inhibitor. Uh, as you know, uh, to celebrate the 60th anniversary of the ISN, we selected Breakthrough Discoveries in 2020 based on the vote of all the members of the ISN, we selected top 60 breakthrough discoveries, which had the largest impact on advances in nephrology and SGLT2 was the most recent breakthrough discovery selected by uh, in this uh, breakthrough discoveries, uh, which you can still see and find in the website of the ISN. And TEMPA kidney study has also a big impact on clinical practice because it showed uh, that the drug is effective regardless of the existence of diabetes. It works in diabetic kidney disease, of course, but it also works in non-diabetic CKD. Uh, Will and colleagues. Uh, We performed the uh, analysis of tertiary and exploratory exploratory, uh, outcomes, and the benefits were consistent in patients with or without diabetes, and regardless of EGFR at randomization. uh, The proposed risk reduction may be larger in patients with higher albuminuria, but overall SGLT2 inhibitor was effective in all the pa- uh, different categories of patients. So uh, it is uh, very useful when we treat patients at our daily clinical practice.
1: Yeah, that, I think you're right. And I think that's uh, it's so wonderful to see the consistency of the results over the um, different kinds of kidney disease and at different stages. And maybe we'll I'll circle back to you and ask in terms of The interpretation of the attenuation of the effect based on uh, urine ACR levels. Um, What would you? How would you help us interpret that? Because I certainly am aware of some of the confusion, perhaps, or ways that different people have interpreted that attenuation. So perhaps you can help us walk through that a little bit.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, uh, the trials showed an uh, overall an overwhelming result of twenty eight percent relative risk reduction on kidney disease progression and cardiovascular death, but there was what we described as attenuation of the effect, And there was a, something called a heterogeneity test or a trend test, which measures whether or not that is statistically true or not. And there was good evidence that the effects were different in people with high levels of albinurea who progressed faster than people with lower levels of albuminuria. And some people have described people with lower levels of albuminuria as being a bit like the heart failure, the hef-pef of nephrology, because it's a difficult population to treat and do trials um, to prove that drugs work. Um, and one of the reasons that it's difficult is because they actually slow it slow it progressing so it's particularly difficult to assess effects on preventing dialysis within only about two years of a trial in fact it's quite difficult even to show whether or not they are progressing by about 40 percent from randomization so we are now lucky that we have the ability to start looking at more sophisticated analyses which are by egfr slopes so looking at kidney function decline over time and extrapolating that over the long term now, it's important to note these are surrogates and they are extrapolation. But what we did is we used this type of analysis to assess whether or not the the attenuation in effect we were observing for the hard clinical outcomes was due to a no effect in those people with A1 levels of albuminuria or due to smaller size effects. And as, as uh, Professor Nangaku was alluding to, when we did those analyses, we identified that SGLT2 inhibitors in flows in this case, was slowing risk of progression. It was slowing risk of progression substantially. Um, um, and for example, in those with A1 levels of albanyuria who are progressing only at one mil per minute per year, it actually slowed that rate down to 0.1%. So that's a very substantial reduction, but of course, not, it was not a resting decline, and the trial only two years long. And if you've got a two mil dip when you start SGLT2, and here was an acute dip you haven't got time over two years to show how that benefit accrues. So I think there is some uncertainty, but unless we can do enormously large and enormously long trials in nephrology, we're going to have to start accepting these surrogates of endpoints to try and still identify those people might benefit. Because, of course, if you've got a kidney function, an EGFR of 20 or 25 and you're progressing at one mil per minute per year. or well, You are at low risk of kidney failure in the next five years, but you're at high risk in the next 10 years. We can't possibly do trials which are 10 years long, but we do need to find treatments for these people.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, I think that's, it's important that all of us kind of appreciate that 2.6 years average in that trial is very short. Uh, and as you said, for people that are at a lower risk of achieving any outcome in two years, um, the fact that it was in the right direction, I think is really important and has a lot of implications um, for clinical practice. Um, and so we you started to talk a little bit about the different groups, and I think the um, audience might be interested to know a little bit about those subgroups within the GNs and the, and the non-diabetics that were looked at and um doesn't need a lot of detail, but perhaps just to comment on the kinds of different GNs we were able to examine
2: in the study as well, and the other causes of kidney disease. Uh, Thank you, Adera. Uh, Of course, the cohort had a lot of patients with IgA nephropathy, and uh, this drug is effective in patients with IgA nephropathy. Uh, It should be also effective in patients with FSGS. Uh, So... Uh, Generally, uh, this drug is effective in patients with glomerulonephritis. Uh, In addition, uh, this drug is independently uh, effective, uh, I mean, uh, independently of uh, race or ethnicity. It works in Caucasians, it works in Asians, and this is a huge difference from uh, incretin-based drugs. As you know, incretin-based drugs are more effective in Asians. And that is because of the uh, genetic factor. Uh, GVASTRA studies showed uh, the uh, variant of GL1 receptor, GLP-1 receptor, and Asians have some Asians have the variant, which makes GLP-1 receptor more uh, sensitive to incretions. So incretin based drugs are more effective in Asians. But uh, SGLT2 inhibitor, in this case, uh works effectively independently of the race and ethnicity.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a really important point that whilst many other drugs have a more variable response, I think it's impressive uh, to see the, um, the breadth and depth of response uh, to this uh, drugs. Will, did you want to comment a little bit more on that?
0: Yeah, I wouldn't mind. It's just that we were we were very we were very, very lucky to be able to publish in the New England Journal of Medicine the main results of the trial, and um, but I didn't know if everyone had also spotted we also published a meta analysis in the Lancet, and both of these articles are available to open access. You should be able to access them and read them. But one of the things we managed to do in the Lancet is to particularly look in more detail in people with different types of glomerular disease. Um, and in fact, um, we're able to aggregate the results of, for example, the IgA nephropathy results of MPA kidney that a DAPA CKD. Um, they are in the supplement, but they are there. And what is very nice is we saw what looked like too good to believe results from dapa CKD, where natural fact turned out to be pretty darn good in epikidney as well. Um, and, and it's pretty clear that we now have over 1,000 patients with AIJ nephropathy studied with the SGLT2 inhibitors, and that there is demonstrable reductions in the risk of progression of this, the most common glomerulinophytus. So please do have a look at both the analyses, um, because we put them not only the results of epikidney. Uh, overall, but also in in the context of the totality of the data, um, in those two papers.
1: Yeah, and I guess that gives me an opportunity to say, you know, how does the trial impact um, guidelines? We've already seen a major shift in the diabetes guidelines, and the combination publication with the American Diabetes Association and K-Digo, um within um, people with diabetes. Um, Recommending SGLT2s essentially as one of the key cornerstones of therapy, and I think that's really important. As you might know, we're actually updating the KDIGO CKD guidelines—the more the general ones that kind of uh, exclude diabetes uh, people with diabetes, but certainly are focused on the other causes of kidney disease. And so, I think this uh, trial data, along with the Lancet meta-analysis and the totality. The body of evidence really allows us probably to say things within that guidance document that we've never been able to say before, which are recommendations for treatment to uh, reduce progression of kidney disease or comorbidities. And I think that's pretty exciting for the the patients mostly, but also for us to have uh, some very robust recommendations to make. Any other um, major things? that we haven't touched on will or masaomi in terms Uh, of the study I, i was particularly thinking about things like acute kidney injury and avoidance of electrolyte abnormalities which i know are really troubling to clinicians maybe a comment from one of
2: you about that uh, thank you, Um uh, Before uh, going to that point, I'd like to mention the uh, guideline. Uh, the Japanese Society of Nephrology published uh, the recommendation of proper use of SGLT2 inhibitor in CKD patients just after publication of Empakidin, because we realized that many doctors are going to use SGLT2 inhibitors to CKD patients now. And these doctors will include non-nephrologists. So uh, we are concerned about the uh, inappropriate use of inappropriate treatment of CKD patients by non-nephrologists with this drug, because uh, this drug is very useful, it's easy to use, and uh, they may feel they can treat patients with kidney disease without help of nephrologists. So we decided to publish uh, this recommendation, which is useful to uh, non-expert,
0: non-nephrologists.
2: Great, thanks
1: well did you want
0: to do some- on yeah, I think that's what. These are remarkably simple drugs to use given how effective they are it's It's quite uncommon to have a drug which is so effective yet so well tolerated and have minimal side effects that um, there are some worth mentioning um, so um, uh, in people with diabetes, we know that you can trigger ketoacidosis with these drugs, um, and we do advise people if they're starving to stop treatment. Um, and we did actually treat some people with type one diabetes and end kidney with an SGLT2 inhibitor. It was actually relatively safe. We had six versus one ketoacidosis overall, and one versus zero in those with type one diabetes. <laughs> Um, um, so, it can be used um, in people with type 1 diabetes very carefully, but that is a side effect that I obviously mentioned to all our patients with diabetes. But what is amazing is they're remarkably safe in people without diabetes despite that effect. So, uh, unless you're really starving and, and really pushing the uh, pushing illness, you're not going to get ketoacidosis in people who have not got diabetes and you're not going to get hypoglycemia either. In fact, it looks like it's slightly protective of hypoglycemia. So, remarkably safe drugs, uh, remarkably um, easy to implement. And as, as um, um, Professor Nangaku says, primary care should be feeling confident to prescribe these. And in the kidney, it's not like RAS inhibitors. You didn't have to do an extra blood test a few days after starting. It's much simpler than phenarinone or a RAS inhibitor. We didn't see patients for at least two months after the start. Um,
1: yeah, and- maybe just to emphasize, and it's a fixed dose, there's no escalation and there's no adjusting. And I think from a care perspective and a patient simplicity perspective, I think that's also really important for all of us to reflect on.
0: And, and the other things which people were concerned about, which were, we thought were going to be safety outcomes, were hyperkalemia and acute kidney injuries. Obviously, that's a very common uh, in patients with CKD, irrespective of their treatment. But we do see their risk increase when we give them very high doses of RAS inhibitors, and we obviously see risk of hyperkalemia with the uh, with the mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists. In actual fact, with SGLT2 inhibitors, we don't see that. Um, we don't see really any change in biochemical potassium, and we do see this very intriguing. Result in the meta analyses suggesting you might actually decrease the risk of serious hyperkalemia and hospitalization for hyperkalemia. And we've also had to stop thinking about acute kidney injury as a side effect, because in actual fact, when you look at all of the trials across diabetes populations, heart failure populations, and CKD populations, you get nearly a quartering of the risk of acute kidney injury. So this drug, for some reason, reduces risk of acute kidney injury, which of course is something else which our patients suffer from. And it might explain some of the reasons why we see about a 13% reduction to 14% reduction in the risk of going to hospital for any cause. Um, These drugs are remarkably safe and have have effects beyond the kidney um, as well as within the kidney which we need to all be um, considering as nephologists it's not just it's not just the kidney that these drugs benefit um it's it's other other forms of health cardiovascular disease and a multiple reasons for hospitalization remarkable yeah
2: anything we'll, go ahead oh sorry yeah, uh, go ahead. Son. Uh, Thanks to the uh, wonderful meta-analysis by Will and colleagues, we do not have to get concerned about limb amputation now. Is that correct, Will?
0: So uh, limb amputation risk um, is a very interesting topic because it was one of the very first trials. It was the second trial that, that identified a potential risk. Um, when you've looked at all the other 12 trials we've meta-analysed compared to that one trial, we don't see an overall risk of lower limb amputation. When you combine them all together, there's a suggestion that it may still be, still be in effect. So it, So the net effects are what's really important. So if we take the conservative position where we say that these drugs do cause ketoacidosis, but it's rare, and they do cause a very small risk of uh, amputation, and that's the conservative um, uh, conclusions from the data. And then we look at the net benefits the net benefits far exceed any harms. Uh, in people with CKD, you know, the, the, the benefits in the trial population studied are 10 times higher than the risk. And in heart failure populations, they're about 100 times higher. So um, the benefits on heart failure are so large, and people with heart failure are at such high risk of going to hospital that their benefits um, uh, are 100 times greater than any risk of harm. So um, remarkable.
1: Yeah, and I think it is—it's really important for us, um, you know, as a collective, to really remember about the the heart failure and the time in hospital and the uh, costs of that to patients and families. That uh, not—never mind—to the healthcare system. Um, and so the, as you've all mentioned, the totality of the data that helps us to really take the results of this, of this study, but also the collective totality of studies together and really make sure that we understand and practice what the evidence tells us to practice. I think we've had a fantastic conversation about um, really one fantastic trial on top of many other outstanding trials uh, that really helps us change the way that we think about uh, treatment for kidney diseases. Any last words?
0: For our audience today, I'm. I just wanted to say to all those that were involved in listening in in the actual trial, either as patients or as collaborators, thank you because. This is a major shift for nephology. You know, I think when I joined nephrology, we had BRAS inhibitors and it felt like we just had a series of negative trials. The community is now galvanized. We're a community that can do trials. Um, we can show now we've got multiple treatments developed from trials they were only in the last um you know six or seven years and i really hope that this is the beginning of the golden age of trials in nephrology Um, and we can we've got three pillars of care i'm hoping we'll have four or five in the next 10 years
2: Um, thanks and hasomi last word to you yes thank you Uh, i also wanted to thank will and colleagues uh, at oxford for involving us. Uh, That was an outstanding clinical trial, and we are really honored uh, to get involved in this uh, breakthrough clinical trial, which has a huge impact on our routine clinical practice. Thank you, Adera.
1: Right. And I think, yes, the the model of trial um, development and execution is something that I think the nephrology community is also very excited to continue to uh, participate in and grow. So with that, uh, thank uh, you as our speakers, ISN, for the support of this podcast and all of you for listening. Thanks very much.